we have set aside for this, this series that we're calling uh, Reaching Out, seeking to be very in, intentional in our approach, wanting to, to focus upon uh, evangelism and reaching out to those who are within our sphere of influence and being, being intentional, not only in the lives that we live, but being intentional in the things that, that we communicate. Set aside six weeks uh, just because I kind of had a little bit of a little bit of a, a, a time slot there to be able to, to do that. I'm going to Columbia. A group of us are uh, next month. And so I thought, you know, six weeks, uh, maybe that's a little bit too much time to set aside for a, for a series on, on evangelism. And so I don't know. We'll see how far we get into it and see what it looks like. And I find myself this week being at the halfway point. And as soon as the last amen is said this morning, we're going to be halfway through with our, our pursuit of this, this focus upon reaching out. And now I'm thinking, how am I going to get it all in over the, over the next uh, three weeks and bring it all together? But I, I hope that you are, are benefiting from what we're talking about as we're seeking to be who God calls us to be. As we're seeking to be a, a mission-minded people and in community. And I, I may have benefited from saying this a few weeks ago, and I'm going to explain why in a moment. But my goal within these six lessons, my goal is not to provide some sort of, some sort of method for us to utilize in regard to evangelism. I'm going to explain why here in a, here in a few moments. But my goal in all of this is that we would that we would think simply. Now, for some of you, that's easier than others. But for us to think simply and critically, for us to think deeply, and for us to think spiritually about the call to share Jesus, and that we would have a zeal and a passion for the lost. I greatly appreciate those who, who lead us in worship, and I really appreciate Aaron in, in leading us uh, this morning. Last week, Aaron and I were, were talking, and he was just saying, in, in, in looking at the songs to, to choose from and working toward our specific focus for the series and our focus for today, we're, we're a church that seeks to, we want to sing the old hymns and we want to sing the newer songs as well. We want to, we want to sing a, a balanced um, a set of songs each, each Sunday in Aaron made the remark last week that it, when you look at modern hymnody, when you look at some of the newer songs, there's not as many songs to choose from that are focused upon evangelism. And I wonder if there might be something systemically or something culturally, uh, maybe there some, might be something behind, behind some of that. I want for you to think back in... Well, before I move on, let me, let me say this. Uh, are you uh, sowing the seed of the kingdom, brother? When, when, I was, when I was a kid, I'm the oldest of three boys, we would sing that a little bit differently. We would sing, are you sowing the seed of the king, dumb brother? <laughs> and so when it came to that one little part, we would kind of lean over to each other and we would kind of say that part a little bit, little bit louder than we should have. I want for you to think back in your life, and I want for you to think back of the various methods in your lifetime that you've seen or heard of or experienced, the various methods that have been utilized, especially uh, over the last century. 
But the various methods that you've either seen firsthand or at least heard of in regard to evangelism. I mentioned last week tent revivals. And it, it, might, be, it might be that you have no idea what a tent revival is. It might very well be that you were converted to Christ through a, a tent revival. And, and speaking candidly this morning, if you were, if you were converted through a message at a tent revival, I want for you to seek me out after service this morning because I'd like to hear your story. Tent revivals were, were utilized uh, many years ago, um, even, even a couple of centuries ago. They began where there would be individuals and groups and they would have these like traveling entourages where they would construct a, a tent, usually near a populated area, and there would be those who would who would speak and who would focus upon the call to respond to, to Christ. This was a time when you came to church expecting to sweat in the summertime and freeze in the wintertime. It's also a time when temperature or comfort didn't affect church attendance, but that's another story. Uh, when, I, when I first began to, to preach in, in Tyler, I was at the West Irwin Church of Christ in downtown Tyler, Texas. West Irwin is, a, is a, a, a church that has been there on that spot since 1885. It's a downtown historic congregation. And when I first began to preach there, one of, one of the secretaries, Frances McBee, now Frances is, Frances is awesome. She became a member there with, with her husband Joe in the 50s. She um, has been the hub, the main secretary there at that church since 1962, and she is still going strong. She turned 90 last year. Frances, is, she's just awesome. When I first came to West Irwin, I got a, a top 10 list for the church from the other, other ministers, and one of the things on the list was if someone says that they used to go to West Irwin and Francis doesn't know them, they're lying. But I can remember when I first started preaching there, Frances came into my office and she brought this plaque. And it was a plaque that the leadership there at West Irwin had received a few years earlier from the North Tenahaw Church of Christ. The North Tenahaw Church of Christ is a historic African-American Church of Christ. And in 1935, Marshall Keeble, and the plaque was celebrating, I think, the 75th anniversary. But in 1935, Marshall Keeble held a tent revival on Moore Street, just, just north of, of the location there at West Irwin. But Marshall Keeble held a, a tent meeting that the leadership of West Irwin um, funded in order to, to speak and to preach. And out of that gathering, the North Tenahaw Church of Christ began. Now, um, during that conversation, I also asked Francis, I said, I said so Francis, 1935, Marshall Keeble, and if you, don't, if, if, if you know anything about our history in Churches of Christ, you know what a historic figure Marshall Keeble uh, was. Our very own Jacob McClinton learned un- under uh, Marshall Keeble, which is historic uh, in and of itself, and it also kind of lets you know how old Jacob is. But I asked Francis, I said, Francis, 1935, this church was here. She's like, yeah. Why didn't they have the meeting here? And of course, then we were having a different conversation, right? But tent meetings, traveling evangelists, there are some 
who had, they had their own tents, they had their own chairs, they had their own PA systems, pulpits, they had portable baptistries. Jack Fogarty is a name that some of you might know. Jack Fogarty and Ermine Bain, they had a tent that would hold 5,000 people. Now, for the record, I said Jack Fogarty, not John Fogarty, although I do love me some CCR. I'm not talking about Credence Clearwater Revival, I'm talking about the Church of Christ Revival. Gospel meetings, some of you will remember names like Jimmy Allen, Landon Saunders. Uh, in the Baptist tradition, the Billy Graham Crusades came out of this time in this era. In 1956, a man by the name of Jewel Miller developed and marketed an evangelistic series of film strips. Now, show of hands if you know what I'm talking about. Uh, not just talking about film strips. I know there's probably some that don't know what a film strip is, but Jewel Miller, right? 1956. Now, later, those film strips were converted to, to VHS tapes. Uh, and then later on, those were converted to, to DVDs. I'm told that somewhere here uh, in, in, within our building, we've got some DVDs from the Jewel Miller film strips. I don't know if you remember DVDs. Those are those little discs that used to go into the little... yeah. Um, Door-knocking campaigns. There was a time when churches would, would, would go into neighborhoods and knock on doors. Uh, and I, I recognize in a 2019 context, that kind of sounds strange to us. People want their privacy. They want their own space. They don't want anybody coming up and knocking on their doors. But it used to be that was a way that churches reached out to their community to let them know that they were available, to let them, let them know what they were about, and to, to utilize door-knocking campaigns as an evangelistic sort of outreach. In years past, there have been times when churches might, might bring in a particular person, a particular preacher, in order to, to share a message, for, with, especially in regard to not only a call to evangelize, but a call to respond to the message of the gospel. Churches have had radio programs, television programs, mass media mail-outs to the surrounding communities. Tirsa and I, for 20 years, we went to the Tulsa International Soul Winning Workshop. Guys like Marvin Phillips and Terry Rush. I would not be a preacher if it were not for Terry Rush and his ministry to the masses and his ministry to me. Maybe one final illustration a couple of years ago, Rob Pine, Neil Plunkett, Tom Carey, and I, we were in, in Ghana, Africa. And we were in, in Atiku, Atiku. And Atiku is a hub. It's a hub of evangelism in, in Western Africa. It's a, it's, a, it's a place that our missions team supports here at Eastridge. But Atiku, Atiku Ghana, is a, is a hub of activity for, for not only Ghana, but for, for Western Africa. And I, uh, I, I, I spoke on a Sunday morning, and in, in Ghana, they, they speak English, but they also speak a native language called Twi. And so I would, I would preach and speak in English, and then Lawrence Oduro, our, our, our point man there, Lawrence would interpret into Twi. And after I got through preaching, apparently I didn't preach long enough, and so Lawrence kept going. And there was a, a man there that the Atiku, Atiku Church was supporting, and he was a minister from the Ivory Coast, the next country just on further, further north. And uh, he's there, and I can remember Lawrence saying, 
that, that what we're going to do, what our plan is, because they're struggling in Christianity in the Ivory Coast, and what we're going to do is we are going to, we are going to evangelize for the cause of Christ here, and there's going to come a day when we're going to walk north, and we're going to walk to the Ivory Coast and walk across those borders, and we're going to evangelize the country of the Ivory Coast. And I can just remember how, how meaningful and how visionary it was to me the things that Lawrence was sharing and saying. I say all of that. I say all of that by, by way of beginning. That was my first of three introductions. I, I say all of that just by way of beginning to say this. All of those different forms of evangelism and reaching out, I, I don't want for you to hear me knocking any of those methods. Knocking, get it, door knocking. Um, I don't want for you to hear me knocking any of those modes, those approaches of, of evangelism, even some that we might consider antiquated. If I were to make the statement, well, door knocking just doesn't work in 2019 like it did in 1959. I promise I would have somebody come up to me afterwards and say, I wouldn't be a Christian were it not for a door-knocking campaign. If I, were, if I were to say something about the Jewel Miller film strips being obsolete, I would have Neil Plunkett back here walk up to me afterwards and say, hey, the Jewel Miller film strips were a part of my conversion and my decision to be baptized into Christ. I'm not trying to provide a, a one-size-fits-all method because it's just not our... That's just not our, our God. Our God is not going to be confined. He is not going to be contained. He's not going to be limited. The only limits that God has are the limits that we place on Him. We as a church, we do things to be involved in, in our community. Our, to, to envision our echo group is an outreach here. Our preschool is an outreach. Celebrate recovery is an outreach, and the list goes on and on and on. How we go about evangelizing is as vast as those being evangelized and as unique as the ones doing the evangelizing. There is no cookie-cutter formula, even though next week I'm going to give you one. There's no cookie-cutter formula. It's about relationships. It's about our relationship with God, and it's about our relationship with others. It always has been. Relational evangelism is, has always been the, the mode of operation for God's people ever since Peter preached that first gospel meeting in Acts chapter 2. It's about relationships. God's crafted each of us to be His instrument. He's crafted each of us to reach the lost for the cause of Christ. And no one can be you but you. We have here at the Eastridge Church of Christ, we have 1,340 members. 1,340 members. Now, we can't get all 1,340 to be here at the same time, but that's another sermon for another time. But active members, we have 1,340 Members here. 1,340 members has a 
a so much greater capacity and ability to reach others than six guys who have the title minister and 12 guys who have the title shepherd. 1,340. And so... As I look to Scripture and I look to the way that God has equipped each of us, this is the way, this is God's design. And so our task, our aim is to, is to go about being church in the way that God has designed it. Sometimes it's, I don't know, maybe it might seem easier to us to, to go to a foreign country and to evangelize than it is to walk across the street? Why is it sometimes we might feel a sense of urgency and excitedness for sharing the gospel around the world, which we should, but we do not have the same urgency around our hometown? Our call is to combine a faithful life with intentional kingdom communication and have a a sense of purpose, and a sense of urgency in how we carry ourselves. With me so far? All right, you've, uh, I've talked too much without looking to see what God's Word has to say. And so turn with me, if you will, to 2 Kings chapter 7. My reason for turning here is I thought, what's the most obscure passage of Scripture? 2 Kings chapter 7, all right, let's, uh, let's, turn, let's turn here. No, this is, a, this is a powerful place in Scripture, but maybe it's not one that you're necessarily, necessarily familiar with. In 2 Kings 7, you have God's people, Israel, and they are in, they are in exile. There are, are those who have been, have been carried off into captivity. There is a, a remnant that remains behind. The remnant, they're the ones that weren't seen as worthwhile in either killing or capturing. Talk about being in a, I don't know, taking a shot at your self-confidence there. You're not worth bringing along as a slave and you're not worth killing. We're just going to leave you behind. But look at these verses here, verses 3 through 9 of Second Kings 7. There were four men with leprosy at the entrance of the city gate. They said to each other, why stay here until we die? If we say we'll go into the city, the famine is there and we'll die. And if we stay here, we're going to die. So let's go over to the camp of the Arameans and let's surrender. If they spare us, we live. And if they kill us, then we die. We're going to die anyway. We're, we're going we're gonna to die a death of, of starvation. We're going to die if we don't do something. And so at least if we go there, if they kill us, then we'll just get it over with. But maybe they won't kill us. Maybe, really, the, the thought process here is maybe they'll make us their slaves. Verse, verses 5 and following. At dusk, they got up and they went to the camp of the Arameans. When they reached the edge of the camp, no one was there. For the Lord had caused the Arameans to hear the sound of chariots and horses and a great army. And they said to one another, look, the king of Israel has hired the Hittite and Egyptian kings to attack us. So they got up and they fled in the dusk and abandoned their tents 
and their horses and donkeys. They left the camp as it was, and they ran for their lives. Remember last week, our focus was upon the truth that God's already there. Just trust that God's already there. This is a a, a direct example of that. Look at verses 8 and 9. The men who had leprosy reached the edge of the camp. They entered one of the tents and ate and drank and they took silver, gold, and clothes and they, they went off and they hid them. They returned and entered another tent and they took some of the things from it and they hid them also. Then they said to each other, what we're doing is not right. This is a day of good news. This is a day to be announced. This is a day to be shared. This is a day of good news. This is a day of gospel. This is a day of good news, and we're keeping it to ourselves. If we wait until daylight, punishment will overtake us, because God don't like ugly. I, I, I Actually, I added that. That's, that's the RJV, that's revised Jason version. If we wait until daylight, punishment will overtake us. Let's go at once and report this to the royal palace. And they do just that. So they go to this camp. God's already there. As a matter of fact, God's so there. He's driven out this this opposing army from them. And they get there and they find what they're requiring. They find what they need. They find what they're seeking after and searching for. And they find food. They find this bread. And then they think to themselves, and they have this conversation, it's not right. It's not right for us to keep this to ourselves. We've got to go and share it. We've got to go back and we've got to share that with those that are requiring this as well. We've got to share this with those that are needing it as well. And folks, that's what evangelism is. Evangelism is one beggar telling another beggar where to find bread. That's it. That's what evangelism is. No hard formula. No hard sell. No having to have all the answers. One beggar telling another beggar where they can find bread. And no one can tell you this is how you need to do it. Because if they do, it's just not going to work. At least it's not going to work in the way and to the extent that God has designed it with you just being you. It's got to be more relational than some sort of prepackaged microwave approach to evangelism. Just be you. Be like Christ. Tell them where they can find bread. And it also takes choosing to do so. Let me try to illustrate it this way. So I... I've actually illustrated um, in a similar way, <clears throat> maybe it's been a, a couple of years ago, but yeah, imagine me having some uh, styrofoam cups that normally hold coffee. <clears throat> if, uh, if we understand this, uh, this cup that's filled with, with water, if we understand this to be the gospel of Christ, what we see and what we understand is that, that God, he, as we empty ourselves, as we empty ourselves, God fills us. Now, this is uh, an inexhaustible supply of, of gospel and good news from God. But as we empty ourselves of self, 
God, He fills us. He fills us with all that is from Him. That's the way that this works, right? And God, He fills us to the extent that we overflow. That's, what, that's really the nature of blessing. That's the nature of the gospel. God fills us to overflowing so that our lives overflow into the lives of others. You tracking with me? This is yes. This is okay. All right. And so God pours himself into, into us, and then we pour ourselves into others. And yet, if, if, if I give you some sort of, this is the way you've got to do it, and if you don't do it this way, you're going to be wrong, what's going to happen is you're going to pour, and it's, oh, oh, I mean, it's going to just, you're going to pour, and it's going to, it's, I mean, it's, it's going to spill out of them. It's not going to work. It's, it, it's, it's not going to work for you. It's not going to work for them. This, this cup has, if you're not able to see, this has holes in it, and I'm going to stop doing that. But you get the idea, right? No one can be you but you in your life. And in the relationships that you share, no one can be you to them but you. And the way that we go about sharing and evangelizing is as varied as the people that we're evangelizing and as varied as the ones that are sharing the message. It's the same message, right? The message doesn't change. The message has been the same for 2,000 years. But how we go about sharing and communicating the relevance of that message is going to vary from person to person. And no one can be you but you. It's Christ in us. The hope of glory. That's what the Apostle Paul writes in Colossians 1. Jesus will say, John 14, 12. Jesus will say, I tell you the truth. Anyone, anyone who has faith in me will do what I have been doing and will do even greater than these. And then the last part of this verse is just as important as the first. Because I am going to the Father. The resurrection and the ascension of Jesus colliding with the cross of Christ, the life of Christ. Jesus says, I tell you the truth, anyone who has faith in me will do what I have been doing and will do even greater things than these. What? I mean, think of the things that they have seen Jesus doing. They have seen Jesus multiply this food for the masses. They've seen him resurrect the dead. They've seen him, him heal. They've seen him bless. They've seen Jesus accomplish these amazing signs and, and miracles. Jesus says, you'll do even greater things. And what Jesus is talking about is spiritual rather than physical. Rather than physically feeding people, Jesus says, you're going to feed them spiritually. Rather than physically healing people, you're called to foster spiritual healing. Rather than physical resurrection, God will speak life through them. God speaks life through us in order to bring about spiritual resurrection, to spiritually raise the dead. And our mission... Our mission, is to our mission is not to criticize. Our mission is to contribute. To contribute, each of us, in the ways that God has gifted us. Jesus' disciples will come to him and they'll say, Hey, oh, so-and-so over there, they're doing it all wrong. And Jesus will say to them, just get out of the way. And sometimes we get in the way. Our mission is is to go into all the world and make disciples. 
And what that might mean for you is rather than, rather than picking up stakes and moving to Ghana, it might mean that. But rather than picking up stakes and moving to Ghana, it might mean picking up the phone. It might mean sending a text or an email today. It might mean walking across your office tomorrow or across your living room later on this afternoon and having a conversation. We have great resources here at Eastridge. You don't have, you don't have an elder or a minister that wouldn't love to sit down with someone and communicate Christ to them. And we, we want to do that. We have a group here at Eastridge, the Ambassadors for Christ, taken from that passage out of 2 Corinthians 5, who are equipped and who are experienced and who, who enjoy and who are called to sit down and, and to study with those that are searching for more. We have resources here. Those who would like nothing more than to walk alongside of whoever it is you're walking alongside of. But it's a journey and it's a process for each of us. And no one can be you but you. Well, Jason, what if I don't know the, the answer to their, some of their questions? Get in line. Who does know the answer to all questions? We're just one beggar telling another where to find bread. Too often, whenever we think of the word evangelist, we think of the guy on the street corner in downtown Dallas, up on his soapbox, yelling at the top of his lungs, repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. Now, if you were to stop and pull over and talk to those guys, they're, they're all ex-preachers. Just ask them, where they, ask them where they went to college. They'll tell you, Abilene, <laughs> Lubbock, Harding. I want for you to envision that same street corner. But rather than the guy on the corner yelling at the top of his lungs, repent. I want for you to think of that same corner, but I want for you to think of a crossing guard. Go to the next slide there. To have a heart to meet folks where they are and bring them further, that's it. We're just crossing guards. One beggar telling another where to find where to find bread. So I want, to give you, I want to give you a few dates. The final three weeks of August, August 11th, 18th, and 25th, I'm going to share some basic elementary sermons on conversion in, in salvation. Now, not, not, not basic in the sense of dumbing it down, but just some elementary sermons in regard to the core of coming to God through Jesus. And I'm going to call it Saved by Grace Through Faith. I've been attempting to preach up a storm this morning, but apparently it's happened. <clears throat> and, and so the, those, those three messages at the end of, at the end of August, um, some elementary teachings. Yes, some messages on, on baptism, but, but a call to live a baptized life. That's the last three Sundays of August. And then the final Sunday of September... On September 29th, we're going to have our annual Friends Day. One of the unique things about Friends Day is it takes a little bit of pressure off the person coming because they know that they're going to be a, a visitor. There's going to be lots of visitors there. It may even take a little bit of pressure off of us. And so these are some dates to target, to, to think of who's your one, who's one person you can invite to come and to share and to experience and to be a part of these 
these specific intentional Sundays. There's going to church and there's being church. And these are really these are just dates to target. Being church is what it's about. Church is not what we do. Church is who we are. And what I'm challenging us with is opening up our hearts to God and opening up our hearts to others to love God and to love others. Because you cannot love others if you don't love God. And you do not love God if you do not love others. Evangelism is simply one beggar telling another where to find bread. Maybe, maybe this is why Jesus will say, I am the bread of life. That all who come to me will never go hungry again. But are we still hungry? And will we share? This morning I want to offer a a time of of response and maybe especially along these lines of reaching out to to acknowledge that that with our our focus and our call, you, you recognize a need to respond to the gospel. We respond to the message of Jesus by being baptized into Christ. It's a beginning. It's a birth. It's a way to begin. But it's also a way to draw a line in the sand and say from this point forward, things are going to be different. If we can bless you in some way, come forward as we stand and as Aaron leads us in song.